morning, everybody. Morning. Morning. So we've come to the end, folks. This is the end. This is the last of the fruitfulness and the frontline sermons. I don't know if you're happy about that or not, but this is the end anyway. Today, uh, actually going to be a small enough sermon, I think, um, just to round it all off. But let me say, I do hope that the Spirit of God has used this series in your life. I know that for some of you, because you've told us uh, that he did. And indeed, if any of the rest of you have any similar stories or comments, you know, please share them with us. We, we do like the feedback, and we like to be encouraged. But uh, this really, it isn't the end. It's only a beginning, truth be told. Because I think what we've seen over the last two months is that not only do we all have front lines, but there are actually many ways to be fruitful on those front lines. Uh, you don't need spare time to serve God. I think Claire told me that once. Most of us will do it right where we are every day. And I think that's been an eye-opener for some of us. Um, or certainly, some of us have been encouraged to think about our lives again. I would, I would have been familiar with the idea that Jesus is, is glorified in everything, everything I do. But I've found, particularly with this idea of character, you know, what kind of a man I am. And also, I've been thinking about this idea of my neighborhood in ways that two months ago I just wasn't previous. Anyway, what I'm really saying is that we've come to the end of the series, but because we're talking about kind of such fundamental stuff, or we have been, hopefully you're either encouraged to begin afresh or start something totally new. Bono once said, that he tries to be born again every day. Now, despite the fact I think that he's technically incorrect, uh, I think he's onto something here. Our faith leads us to live a life where every day we need to reclaim the promises of God afresh. We need to rely on him every day. And if we start thinking we can rely on the successes of the past or the knowledge that was gained yesterday or last week, we end up relying on created things rather than the creator. So how, how do we rely on God and not on something else? How do we live this life of fruitfulness on the front lines? How do we keep on producing fruit in our life? That's what I want to look at today. Briefly, but that's what we're going to look at. I want to start off with a story. Linda. We'll, we'll call her Linda, right? It's just a, some woman. She's the principal of a school, a primary school. As you'd expect, with such a position, she often has to deal with a lot of responsibilities every day. She's got a staff of 60 people. She's got a couple of hundred children. And as often the case with these schools these days, she and her staff fulfill roles associated with social workers, counsellors, and parents. She works long hours and then some. And on the day that we're thinking of her, when she landed into work, she was told that the heating had shut down and it would be off for the whole day at least. She also had to deal with one of her, with one boy who one of her teachers couldn't handle. This boy is the kind of lad who continually breaks her heart. He, uh, and yet you find yourself drawn into his life because you know, everybody knows, he hasn't been dealt a very good hand in life. And beneath the hard exterior, there is a very lost little boy. And in days when you see him respond well to what's been done for him, when you see glimpses of what he could become, there are good days. Today was not a good day. He crossed the line, a big line, and he had to be punished. He had to be punished even though Linda knows, and most people who work with him know, that when he gets punished, he's going to retreat. He's going to lose the trust of the people who are trying to help him. 
And there's a chance, actually, that this time would be the end. That when she goes in tomorrow, he won't be there. So that was a hard day for her. And you'd think she'd be depressed, or at least deflated by it all. And she was tired for sure. But in a way, I even surprised herself. When she got home that night, she started to pray. And what she prayed was, Lord, thank you for trusting me with all of that. Our front lines, and in many ways that we can glorify God on them, they're often very hard, aren't they? A few of you have told me, and Christoph, of different things that you found challenging from this series. And that's true regardless of what you're doing in life. You don't have to be a principal to find things hard, for sure. But like Linda, we need to know that actually God has trusted us with the front lines that he's given us. He trusts us with the people that we meet there and the challenges we find us there. He trusts that we will be his people there. That might actually make some of you, probably, when I heard that first, in a, a, my shoulders went down a little bit more. I'll not lie, it was, a, it was a hard enough week in some ways, and I was thinking about the story, you know, and this lady's words were haunting me. How could she pray that? How could she say, thank you for trusting me with all that in the midst of her trouble? When I was in the midst of my trouble, I wasn't thanking Jesus. Was she saying that she felt up for it? Was she able to do it? I don't feel able to do it half the time. So how, how was she praying that? The thing is, we can only pray a prayer like that if we know that God is in control, not just of the events we find ourselves in, but of us too. We can only pray a prayer like that if we know that ultimately he's put us where we are and made us the people we are. He will make us the kind of people who can deal with the days that come to us. Knowing these things is a form of fruit in our lives. To be able to trust God enough that we can turn around and thank him for where we are in our lives, even when there's a lot of difficulty, that is the work of God in our lives. To put it another way, the truth is we don't produce fruit in our own lives by our own strength. God is the gardener of our souls. We get all the help that we need to be fruitful on our front lines from him. He helps us. That's what we're going to look at again this morning. How, though, does he do it? How does he help us as we continue to seek to be fruitful on our front lines? And the answer to this question is supplied in today's reading. And the answer is, more Jesus. Jesus says in our reading from the Bible today that if you remain in me, I will remain in you. No branch, that's us, we're the branches, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And Jesus, in case you've missed it, is the vine. And God, God the Father is the gardener. So to remain in God's garden then, that's the key. If you want God to change you, to make you a person who can thank him for the responsibility he has given you, who does, to make you a person who does more, of these six M's, if you want to grow at all, actually, I think for some of us the challenge is simply believing that we can do anything for God. Whatever your situation, all things will be done by letting the Father change us as we remain in Jesus. But that kind of sounds like something a preacher would say, isn't it? Remain in Jesus. Right, grand Richard, that's lovely. What, is, what, what, what does that actually look like? What does that mean in my everyday life? Well, try this on for size. 
To try and remain in Jesus means that one lives a life whereby our hearts, our mind, and our actions are repeatedly orientated towards Jesus via the means of prayer, the Bible, and fellowship. Now, I could spend maybe another six series on each one of those alone. There have been many books, too many books written, in fact, about each one, but I'm just going to look at it very quickly in an overview way. My basic point here today is this. Our relationship with Jesus, our life and the vine, if you will, and the life that we live every day on our front lines are nourished, watered, fed, shaped, changed, etc. by the three things that I've just mentioned. Prayer, Bible, fellowship. Now notice there's a, there's a lot of overlap here. When I was thinking about this, I kept imagining one of those uh, infinity loops. You see what I'm doing? That thing? You know, the symbol for infinity? Right, good. At any moment in your life, you can have all sorts of things going on. So you pray about them. You read the Bible looking for an answer. You talk with and pray with your Christian friends. And all of this has the effect of bringing you back to Jesus in some way. And sometimes, you know, that can be good or bad. Sometimes we get pointed to Jesus and uh, that's not always good news to us. We don't want to hear it. But it doesn't really matter because if you're happy, whether you're happy to hear that or not, because either way, he demands our attention and eventually we end up trusting him and enjoying him all, all over again. And this is the effect of sending us back out into the world, into our relationships, into our front lines with a renewed sense of let's glorify God. But then when you're back out on your front lines, more things happen which necessitate you needing to go back to Jesus, either to say thank you to him or to ask him for help again. So it's like this self-perpetuation thing. Your relationship with Jesus drives you back out into the world and the world drives you back to Jesus. And so on and so on and so on. In fact, I think one of the tricks that the devil uses against us is to point out, well, we've been here before, haven't we? To which you should always say, yes, we have. And we'll get out of this hole the same way we did the last time. Jesus. Now, here's some more good news. You're not on your own in all of this. Hopefully, hopefully, by now, you'll know that at Carpatrick, we're trying to do church in a way that supports you as you try to follow Jesus. Christoph has this line that he throws out fairly frequently. He says, culture eats vision for breakfast. The idea is that it's one thing to have a vision, you know, some sort of idea that you'd like to see happening. But if the, ways, if the way things are done in your area doesn't support that vision, if you're saying you want to do one thing but everything else you do subtly or not so subtly undermines the plan, you'll never see that vision happening. So, Carpatrick, we want you to feed your, we want you to feed your relationship with Jesus, with prayer, with the Word, and in your fellowship. We want you to bring the concerns of your front lines into your prayers and into your Bible studies and when you're with other Christians. And so we want to build a culture where you're going to hear about praying for your front lines, where when we teach the Bible, we're going to try and make it so that it speaks to your lives that you actually live, not some right or left-wing vision of life in Belfast could be, but how it actually is. When, we, when you meet up here either on a Sunday morning or at your discipleship groups, 
or on the Sunday night Bible study or wherever else you meet, hopefully anyway, you'll be talking about how you are or how you can be glorifying God in your lives. And look, you're probably not going to use language like this week I glorified God in the following six ways and in the following 55 incidents I didn't. You're just going to be open about what's happening in your life, right? Now, it's one thing, I suppose, to say that we will do our best. We will do our best to create a culture where prayer, the Bible, and fellowship are used to nourish up your, your relationship with Jesus and help you live on your front lines. But you've got to play your part in that as well. Usually, where I see myself in a fall down and others, is we emphasize one side to the detriment of the other. Some of us no problem talking about life in all its good or horrible details. But allowing the Bible, the prayers of others, or the opinions of other Christians to challenge or shape that life of ours is something we resist. On the other hand, some of us have no problem about praying for others, reading the Bible, talking about reading the Bible, and meeting with other Christians, but allowing those same three things to interact with our actual life as we live it every day, to be honest about how our lives actually are, we're not so keen on that. I've grossly overgeneralized there, but really all I'm saying is don't protect yourself from life or from prayer, the Bible, or other Christians. Because when you're open to all of that, you create a culture. You have to create a culture here where we can share each other's lives and then pray for each other and help each other and meet and enjoy God and his word. As I said... I think today's sermon is going to be short enough. It's getting longer than I thought it was, actually. But I was, uh, I was talking to Christoph this week, and he suggested that I, I offer you a resource for praying that might help you in the months to come. So on the way out in the porch, uh, you'll find uh, there's a sheet with a, a web address on it, and, and the same crowd that came up with the fruitfulness on the frontline concept have come up with this idea called Fit for Life. They have these different, what they call, prayer journeys, I think there's about eight of them with different themes. So it's for 40 days, and every day you sign up to it, every day they send you an email. Apologies to those of you who don't have email. But they send you an email with a thought for a day and something to pray. So you might consider doing that. I've left the leaflets out on the porch. You can't miss them. And I have just one more thing to say. Jesus, who's the ultimate example of everything that we've been talking about for the last two months, He's the ultimate example of a godly character, of someone who did good work, of a minister of grace and love, someone who's a mouthpiece for truth and justice, and no one has molded culture more than he, and no one, whether by word or deed, has told people about God and the gospel more than he. So, he's our standard, but he's also our motivation. Because when we go out into our front lines to be fruitful for the glory of God, he has shown what we are to do, but he also motivates us to do it. Because in everything that we've talked about, everything that we attempt to do on the back of this, he's already done it for us. Even though we were sinners and rebels against him, and still are. With regard to his character, he was gracious, he was humble, he was loving for us, all the while we were sinners. With regard to work, he gave up the riches that are inherent in being an omnipotent God and came down here, gave it all up, and did what he did 
for us with regard to ministering grace and love. He looked down upon the cross, from the cross, sorry, upon those people who'd be mocking him and conspired against him. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he still reaches down today and says to us sinners, you don't know what you're doing, but I still love you. With regard to molding culture, he died and he gave us his relationship with the Father so that we could be citizens in a new kingdom. Every good thing that we and the world has is because of his sacrifice for us. With regard to being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, he's truth and justice personified, and yet he allowed himself to be unjustly tried and executed instead of us and for us. And with regard to evangelism, everything he did, everything he said was done so that we could know him and join him in his work. His, his whole life was for us. This is the Lord who we serve on our front lines. And sometimes I say to people who are you know, beating themselves up or they're down themselves, look, cheer up, you're actually worse than you think you are. The idea is that if you think you're bad, there's actually a lot more in there that you don't know about. You're so bad Jesus had to die for all of your sins. You don't even know the half of what he had to die for. Our life on the front line, our relationship with Jesus, our prayer lives, our time in the Word, or with the Word, or listening to the Word, our fellowship with other Christians, are slowly but surely changed the more we understand what Jesus has done for us. So confess your failings on your front lines as often as you can. Be changed by the ways that he didn't fail for us and because of us. Look, I, nor Christoph, nor any of the staff, nor anyone here has it all together. None of us do. Sometimes I go weeks without reading the Bible. I probably go, I don't go weeks without praying. I'm too messed up for that. I need to pray. I might go a few days without it. And there's certainly times where I'm, I go weeks without being honest about my struggles with my brothers or sisters. But when I come back, usually through the words that are said to me by my wife or a friend or a sermon, it's always because some aspect of the gospel has drawn me back. And it's some aspect of the gospel that will set us off again. That's it. I'm just going to say a prayer. Dear Lord, will you give us a passion for your word, for prayer, and for fellowship with our family in Carpatrick? teach us again and again what you have done for us and what you expect of us. Lord, we believe. Help us to overcome our unbelief. Amen. Uh, what was I going to do? Announcements.